One more factor that I look at is just the targets in the book, which should be a given because, you know, as a speech therapist, you do want to make sure there are targets that you're looking for. And to know how or like what the targets are in the book, I read it a couple times. So I read it the first time looking specifically for like language. Are they using a lot of certain pronouns? Are there a lot of the same verb tense or lots of different vocabulary? And then I'll read it through a second time maybe out loud to see if there are any articulation sounds that stick out to me. For that one, I have to do it out loud. Just It just helps me tune more into my mouth and what sound I'm constantly saying over and over again. Hey there, and welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. My name is Benita Litvak, and I am so grateful you're here. I'm an ASHA certified speech language pathologist, author, and augmentative and alternative communication consultant who is obsessed with helping SLPs like you stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other SLPs in the trenches. Have you ever wondered how other SLPs seem to be doing it all with ease? Well, around here, you'll get to hear firsthand how SLPs are really getting things done while keeping evidence-based practice and self-care in mind. Think of this as a coffee date with your SLP friends. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while we learn together. Today, I'm joined by Stacy Ritchie, a public school-based SLP for over 11 years. Stacy loves incorporating books and themes into her therapy because it makes therapy planning a breeze. As a CF, she started with 92 students on her caseload, ranging from preschool through sixth grade. So she really does know how challenging it can be when you have huge caseloads and mixed groups. Stacy personally owns almost 1,000 children's books and is extremely passionate about sharing her love of books with her students and SLPs like you. When she's not working in the schools or on her Teachers Pay Teachers store, Stacy loves baking, doing jigsaw puzzles, watching movies, and playing sports. Stacy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to have you and learn more about our topic for today. So does that bio cover any, everything, or is there anything else you want to share before we dive into our topic about literacy? That's a good question. It does cover a lot. I do really have a passion for like the preschool through second grade age, especially with like language and targeting phonological processes and patterns. That's definitely if I could choose like one little area or age group, that would definitely be where my passion lies. Well, that makes sense because we've been hearing a lot on the podcast that, you know, a lot of the times reading disorders can also be linked with speech sound disorder. So it makes sense that all of those are kind of like within your wheelhouse. And it's great that you are helping kids at an early age to be successful later on with reading and phonological processes or like uh, having those uh, processes disappear, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Yep. That's the hope for sure. And I (laughs) hope that that my love and passion for books, you know, rubs off on them a little bit, that they can see that I love books so much and that they should love them too. And so I'm, I hope that that makes a little bit of difference in their lives, especially in something where they probably don't excel at very often because they have all those struggles with it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what does the evidence say about using books in therapy? There is seriously so much research 
showing the benefits of using books in therapy and also like the how to use them in therapy. Um, especially even in the last 20 years, um, one of them in particular, Spencer and Peterson, they are the two that came up with Story Champs, that program. And so they've done a ton of research in this area and they published a paper in 2020, which explains like some of the populations that benefit the most from using books and therapy. And they said that typically developing kids and at-risk kids with language disabilities autistic kids, and also like English language learners. And some of the research has also shown that ages three years old all the way through high school benefit from using books in therapy. And I mean, just wow, like that many, that broad of a range of kids, like, oh man, it just, it's seriously mind blowing how something simple as a book, which I know books are complex, but <laughs> just picking up some simple material like a book can make such a big impact on that many populations and that many kids. You can cover so many kids on your caseload. Exactly. And I love how versatile books are. They, they truly are so versatile because when you choose a book and the targets and activities, they can easily be individualized for all those kids which makes it really great for mixed group therapy. And when you work in a school, that's bound to happen, right? You're going to right. have those mixed groups, whether you want them or not. It just, it <laughs> always happens. And I have personally used books in mixed group therapy for over 10 years. And I have seen so much growth, especially in vocabulary and engagement, even from some of those more challenging kids who either don't make a lot of progress or don't seem very engaged in, in therapy. And my students have made the most progress with generalizing their skills when I've used these approaches. And using narrative-based approaches is common core aligned. So if you have to use, incorporate those standards into therapy, it's really easy to do because there's so many that say like retell the story or compare and contrast characters or main ideas. And also you can basically target anything using books, especially if you, if you have the right book. So, I mean, you don't need to go out and buy a whole bunch of different things if you know what you're looking for when you're using books. So this all sounds really promising, but what makes a good book? Oh, there are so many <laughs> things that I look into when I choose a good book, but I figured I'd share just a couple with you, especially just so you can kind of get started because I don't want to overwhelm you with all of my factors that I look into. Um, but one of the easiest factors I look into is like the theme and the time of year. Do I need a holiday or a seasonal book? Do I want to be able to use this book for multiple weeks? You know, if I pick a St. Patrick's Day book, I can really only use it like the week before, right. the week after, right? You can't really use it in April because that wouldn't mm -hmm. really make sense. Or another question you can ask yourself is, do I want to be able to use this book again, like at the end of the year as a review? So do you want like a year round book so you can use it multiple times throughout the year? Um, another factor I look at is the pictures and the type of book. So you have to make sure that your book is appropriate for your audience. Like if you have a group of fourth graders working on only their R sound, you're not going to pull out a touch and feel board book, right? Like they would <laughs> look at you like you're crazy. So that would yeah. not be a good idea. Um you could also think about, are you looking for a fiction book, a nonfiction book, or are the, does the book have characters that are people or, and are those people inclusive of the populations that you serve? 
just, I know that I personally am guilty for that one. I have so many books that are animals <laughs> as mm -hmm. most of the characters. So I've definitely been trying to reach more audiences and finding a lot more of those books that are more inclusive of our populations that we serve and just the community around us, you know, because we don't see tigers and lions walking around like right. <laughs> there are people and they're all different. So, um, and one more factor that I look at is just the targets in the book, which should be a given because, you know, as a speech therapist, you do want to make sure there are targets that you're looking for and to know how or like what the targets are in the book. I read it a couple times. So I read it the first time looking specifically for like language. Are they using a lot of certain pronouns? Are there a lot of the same verb tense or lots of different vocabulary? And then I'll read it through a second time, maybe out loud to see if there are any articulation sounds that stick out to me. For that one, I have to do it out loud. Just It just helps me tune more into my mouth and what sound I'm constantly saying over and over again. And honestly, for trying to remember the targets in a book, um, that can get kind of tricky. So you can put like a sticky note in the front of the book, or because I have such a big personal collection, I actually have a Google spreadsheet that has the name of the books and the authors and the kind of targets. So then I can just control F and look for uh, those targets that I need. And I've also- Do you share that? Do I share it? I haven't yet, but I am- thinking about it you should <laughs> you should make it, it like a opt-in freebie oh that'd be a good one I think people um, would love it I know yeah, people are going to listen to this and they're gonna be like so where is that google drive link <laughs> that, that's like always happens yeah I'll have to I'd have to clean it up a bit because some of it is like notes for myself to remember like right. reasons why I don't like certain books and <laughs> there there are some popular books that a lot of people like that I just don't that I just I don't want to get into because I don't want people to maybe make my... a copy and then take your notes column out there you go I could do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm advocating here everybody listening because this sounds like an awesome resource <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah those are just some of the things that I look for in books just and there are several um search engines out there that um you can search there are actually like documents that people have come up with, with, you know, books that have the S sound in them, or you can look up there. I know of a couple online who you can look for certain targets and they come up with a list of books. They have like a, just like an encyclopedia on their computer or their that's website. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So that's super helpful too. I found a couple that way that I wasn't oh, as familiar. That's great. Cool. Yeah. I made a core word. I'm a big core word person. I love the core words. I made a core word book list like five years ago. And that's one of my freebies uh, in my store. But I would say any resource where people can look up like articulation sounds or question words or like specific vocabulary, that's a great resource. Yeah. I love the, Very... the core words list. Those are sometimes hard to find where it's got like multiple instances of that same core word. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of your favorite books or authors for younger elementary and upper elementary students? Ooh, that's, that's a really tricky question, because mm -hmm. I have so many different authors and books that I love for for different reasons. And there are times when it's like, okay, I've read this book a lot, or I've read several in this series. So I'm kind of tired of it. Let's move on to another series. But I've got some 
um, that are fairly popular books that you've probably heard of and a lot that are not as familiar that I honestly think are better than some of the really popular books. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of makes me sad that they're not more popular. So hopefully some of these books will get you interested in some of these other series. Uh, so for younger elementary, there are eh, like five authors that I absolutely love. There's Ross Burek. He wrote the Very Impatient Caterpillar series, which mm -hmm. you're probably familiar with. But he also has another book called There's a Giraffe in My Soup that I find hysterical. <laughs> like, And the kids just think it's so funny because there's just all these different animals that keep appearing in his soup and they can't figure out why. And it's just... <laughs> It, it's a really cute story. And then um, Deborah Underwood, she's written Here Comes Valentine Cat and Here Comes Santa Cat and Easter Cat. So she's got, she's also got like a Here Comes Teacher Cat and a Tooth Fairy. So they're not all just holidays, but they have, the cat doesn't talk and he just holds up signs and makes facial expressions for what he's trying to say. And so it's really good for looking at those nonverbal communication mm -hmm. skills and just how is he getting his point across like he's not actually saying anything how do you know that's what he's saying so I just I love those books for that reason uh and then there's always Jonathan London who wrote the froggy books you know those are pretty popular but he also has another series called the duck and hippo series that not a lot of people know of um but are often really good for like those temporal concepts which to me are sometimes kind of tricky to find in books unless you're doing like a diary or a journal uh, Mo Willems, of course, who wrote the Pigeon and Elephant and Piggy series and Karma was the Karma Wilson Bear books are another really good uh, series. So those are some of my favorite, like younger elementary, preschool, kindergarten, like through second grade that I would do. Looking at upper elementary, this one was a little trickier for me to choose because most of my students working on language are younger because we hit them really, really hard when they're younger so that they don't necessarily need, excuse me, the therapy when they get older. And so um, I don't have as many favorites because I don't have as mm -hmm. many older kids. And, but uh, Jory John, he's the one who wrote the Bad Seed series and mm -hmm. like Smart Cookie, that one's probably my favorite in that series. And then there's, um, Melanie Watts, she wrote the Scaredy Squirrel series. That's another really cute one that's got, it's kind of almost comic strip like. So it's got a lot of different pictures on the page. And then the Camping Spree with Mr. McGee, the Mr. McGee series are really good too. <laughs> so those are just some of my upper elementary ones. And then I've got a handful of ones that I love using with across all of my kids. You know, there's sometimes where you just, you try to plan and you just run out of time and it's like, okay, I only have time to pick one book for all my kids. What, what'll work, right? You don't always have time to pick two or three. You got to pick just one. So nonfiction books, especially ones for the student's personal interests is always a good one because, you know, the kids are interested, even though it doesn't necessarily have these fun, active characters. It's just, it's interesting to them because they love it. Peter Reynolds is a new, a newer author, I feel like that's kind of come into light. He's definitely a new favorite of mine. He has a lot of books on teaching like perseverance and other great character traits. Like he's got a book called Word Collector. That one's about a kid who likes collecting a lot of words. So it's really good for like synonyms and antonyms. And then he's got Say Something and Be You 
And when things aren't going right, go left. And his characters are so inclusive. And it's just, honestly, you just got to go check him out. Like, he's seriously one of What's my his name again? absolute favorites. Peter Reynolds. Peter Reynolds. I'm going to look uh-huh. it up now. Yeah, he's another really good one. Honestly, I thought I was like really up and up on the books, but I <laughs> don't know a lot of these that you're recommending. And I'm like, my daughter needs her library <laughs> totally revamped. <laughs> because these all sound great okay I see that one when things aren't right aren't going right go left that's cute yeah so some and of they're them, all five star yeah you they can easily make them work for like little kids but they also often have very deep meanings like for older mm-hmm. kids and you could really talk about how you would incorporate this into your own life and the pictures are relatively simple they're not too overwhelming but they get the point across and they're beautiful and just it's different. Like he's, he's very different. He's also um, illustrated a bunch of books too, that aren't just his authorship. Like he's okay. done a lot too that way. Uh, the word collector another, looks cute. Yeah. I really like that one. That one's another mm-hmm. really good one. And then say something is all about like standing up for something, but it also talks about how saying something doesn't mean just talking. So like you could help somebody who's down just by sitting there and giving them a hug or you can say something by planting a seed and making the area beautiful and it just talks about how everybody has a great voice and we want to hear it you know no matter how you manifest it like it's just that one's a really sweet story too like I said these ones are all like those ones that are really good character building books I'm I really like funny books especially for my students (laughs) silly books yeah, but these ones have really good meanings and character building books. So I definitely have to throw a couple of these in because they're really good and most kids don't know what they are. And so it's like, they haven't I, seen them before. Yeah. So they're obviously, they're usually intrigued because mm-hmm. I have all these books that they've never even heard of before. And so that's right. intriguing enough for them half the time. It's just, oh, it's a book I haven't heard of. You know, it's not Yeah. some of these books that they've read all the time and they're just like, oh, again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. I love that. So what are some of your tips? Are you, you have more books? I do. I have a couple more that work for both ages. One of my favorite, my absolute favorite winter books is called Stranger in the Woods by Carl Sams II and Jean Stoic or Stoic. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's, it's the cutest story because it's about a snowman appearing in the forest overnight and the animals wake up and they're just like, what is going on? Like, what is this thing? It's stranger in the woods. And they're like announcing the alarm and all this stuff. But it's pictures, it's photographs. Like the authors are photographers. And so they take these wow. really beautiful pictures. And so like, you could easily make it for younger or older kids just in looking at the really pretty pictures. And then the last one, um, you may have heard of this one. It's the Diary of a Worm series by Doreen Cronin. And so the story is a little young, but for older students, it's basically like a day-to-day diary of a worm, or there's one that's a fly and a spider. And basically it's from that bug's point of view. And so you could talk about with the older students about perspective and theory of mind, as well as like having them write their own journals and things like that. Like there's, there's so many implications and other things that you can do with them even if the story is a little young, like you could have them write their own story from the worm's perspective, you know, like have them come up with 
oh no, he's going to step on me, you know, just like mm-hmm. just going from that perspective. So hopefully that wow. gives you kind of a start on some of those books that I think are really good that aren't necessarily some of the ones that everybody knows about that I just, they're seriously my favorite and it was really hard narrowing it down, <laughs> <laughs> which is part of why I picked book series because then, you know, I could lump five or six together with, right. each, with each of those authors. <laughs> No, I love that. And like, we go to Barnes and Noble all the time. And like you said, when I look at a section, it's usually like Eric Carl, Pete the mm-hmm. Cat, like the, you know, the standard one. So it's really nice to see all of these books I've never even heard about. <laughs> I can't wait to take this list and buy them and show them to my daughter. And I'm sure people <laughs> listening are intrigued too. They probably have them in their school library as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. It's a possibility. Yeah, I actually discovered Peter Reynolds by going to one of our school scholastic book fairs. Like that's okay. actually where I found it because there's he has a whole bunch that scholastic sells. And so Got and it. our library always buys a bunch from the book fair too. So it's possible yeah. it's in your school library. <laughs> yeah, check it out there first. So and then we'll make sure to like include them. Actually, I would love to know if anybody has read any of these books or if you have any similar favorites as Stacy, we're going to give you our like Instagram handles at the end. So like tag Stacy and tag speechy side of and let us know which of these books you either want to try or you've read before and you also love we'd love to know. Um, I would and really then, love to know. <laughs> <laughs> you might have some people you might have to like form a book club with some other <laughs> SLPs. <laughs> so what are some tips you have for using books in speech? So there are several things that I do when I use books in speech, but if you're just getting started, I just kind of have three like basic tips to do. So the first is pre-teach. Often we kind of just go, hey, here's the title of the book and the author, and then just jump right in, right? Because the kids are interested, all that kind of stuff. But background knowledge is critical, especially for these kids who have like the language delays. They definitely need that extra support to get the most out of the story. So in that pre-teach, we work on teaching some of that vocabulary and the crucial components of the story so that when it comes to that point in the story, they're like, oh, that's, you know, that makes sense rather than what does that mean? You know, and then just kind of glossing over because they're embarrassed to ask or they don't know how to ask or they just don't ask because they're embarrassed. And also the other thing I do during pre-teach is I would teach them how to listen for their target sound and how to produce it. So if you've got an Arctic sound that you're working on, practice it. And if they can't necessarily say it yet, then you could have them just listen for it and hear it through the story. And there's something called Scarborough's Reading Rope that you may have heard some point in time, maybe even just like in grad school, that depicts the important aspects of reading comprehension. And background knowledge is one of the biggest influences of that language comprehension success. And I feel like when we work a lot on reading comprehension, we don't always hit that background information piece. I feel like they kind of just work on decoding and the phonics. And that's another part of the Scarborough's reading rope, but it's not to me, one of the more important parts of that comprehension. Makes sense. We actually just had, um, a couple of SLPs from the talk team, I think out in Sacramento, 
and their focus is on dyslexia intervention and they mentioned the the rope they didn't talk too much about the background knowledge so I appreciate you bringing that up and just showing like how it's all encompassing you know and that's the the bigger picture that people should really be looking at. We also had another SLP recently come on. It hasn't been released yet, but it will probably be time this <laughs> one is, uh, where she talked a lot about how she relates the children's experiences to what they're reading. So they'll mm -hmm. read and then they'll talk about like, well, how does that relate to like your life? Or do you have a story that you can share that's kind of related to this one? And that's kind of how she like links the two. How are you doing that? How are you like helping to build that background knowledge? That's a good question. Uh, for some of these kids, it really depends on what level they're at. Mm -hmm. For the kids who are working on vocabulary, I would probably, I'd go through the pictures and we'd name some of the animals or whatever is in the book that might be important. We would work on, like if they're listening for a certain verb tense, we would talk about that verb tense. What is a verb? What some of these verbs are going to sound like, you know, act them out, that kind of thing. And yeah, relating it back to them, just be like, like if you read the book, um, the one that comes to mind is um, Enemy Pie, where mm -hmm. the the kid doesn't want to make friends with the neighbor next door who just moved in. And so the dad's like, well, I'm going to make this enemy pie and it's going to taste terrible and this kid's going to get it, you know, and and the the kid this whole time is like, wow, this smells good, man, that's really going to trick him, you know, and, <laughs> and it's just so funny, just the twist ending and just how, you know, have you been in the situation where somebody new moved in and you weren't sure about them or, and they turned out to be your best friend or you were the new kid who moved in? Like, how did that feel for you? And just, yeah, like you said, asking those questions, seeing if they have examples that they've seen in other shows or movies or in their own life that has happened with them. The book sounds so fun that you're referencing. Like I it's just, really cute. my daughter's still a little young, like she's two and a half, but I can't wait to like start reading those kind of books with her. And I definitely get stuck on like the popular author's books. So <laughs> I, I'm excited to branch out a little bit more. That one in particular sounds really great. It's it's really, really cute. I've done some group lessons with that one in, in the gen ed classroom before. And um, there were a couple grades there was a grade that was having trouble with friendship and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, how about I come in and do just a basic social skills lesson for your class? And we just did one of those and it just was, it was really cute <laughs> and they really liked it. And so that's great. Yeah. So going back to how I would use these books. So after pre-teach, the next step you would do is obviously read the book aloud. And while you read it aloud, make sure to overemphasize those speech targets that you're looking for. So if you are accentuating some of that vocabulary, you know, say the word, accentuate it, pause for a second, make sure that they, they got it, they heard it. If you're doing articulation and phonological processes, uh, you could use something called visual phonics. There's a lot of other words for it. And there's like some actual programs, but even if you just make up your own, like as long as you're consistent, it. To me, it doesn't really matter. There's probably resource research that shows otherwise. But so like um, an example would be if I were doing the B sound, so ba, 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 I would move my hand up and down like I'm bouncing a basketball, just ba, ba, ba mm -hmm. as I'm reading the story each time I get to a word. So if I said the big butterfly, I'd go with the big butterfly, accentuating that sound while also tapping my hand up and down. And 
let's see, we already talked about the language. We just, yeah, you'd accentuate it and pause to make sure they heard it. And yeah, so that would be the second step that I would do. And then the third step, which I also feel like often gets forgotten, is doing additional activities for extra practice and generalization. So like even something simple, like hiding your target sound around the room. So the students are doing some gross motor movements while still practicing their speech sound, you know, and you could even have them like, if your room isn't very big, which mine was not, you could have them hop. And then rather than just walk, because, you know, if they took one step, they'd be at the <laughs> at the end of my room, but they could hop three times, you know, that would give them a little bit more, um, a little bit more movement. And like, if you're targeting verbs, you could try acting them out. And if you're doing like present tense verbs, you could be like, we are walking, stop, we walked, you know, and just accentuate that it changes while you're doing it is one thing and then you stop and then it's like oh we finished it we did something and I like to try and see if I can implement like a fine motor or a gross motor activity like a sensory bin or like I said those movement activities for these kids I feel like especially some of them have like every related server right they've got the OT the PT you know the adapted PE all that stuff and so this stuff I feel like also helps with their skills in those areas as well that they also might be struggling in. And some of these kids, I feel like are active movers anyway, and they don't necessarily get this kind of movement in their classroom that helps them be successful. And I don't know about you, but looking at a picture of a verb isn't as good as <laughs> looking at a video of a verb, which isn't as good as you acting out the verb, right? right. <laughs> so right. There, there are just some things that you kind of just have to try and do if possible, which I know in the schools isn't always possible, especially with, you know, no budget and no space and, mm -hmm. or it's always cold. So you can't go outside and go do it. Like it just, it totally makes sense. But these are just some of the basic steps, the, the top three that I focus on the most, but there are obviously more elements you can add and things like that. But that's just kind of, if you're just getting started or you're looking to revamp how you're doing it a little bit, that's where I would start. That's, that's the the meat of where I would start with your, your therapy approach. Those are really good tips. So you're saying like pre-teach, emphasize the words or emphasize the target specifically, and then um, like do, like act out as much as you can. Was there anything else there? Nope, that's exactly okay. it. Yeah, pre-teach, it's kind of like the how they do it in the classroom. I do, we do, you do. So it's, mm. I do it first, we do it together, and then you do it on your own. It's kind of, makes sense. that's that step. Yeah, no, that's a really great. I think it's a, just a great reminder. I know a lot of people like me personally, like I read through the book and I do everything I'm supposed to do while I'm reading through it, but I do forget to pre-teach. So I need to go back to doing that again. I appreciate that reminder. Before we wrap up today, is there anything else you want to share? Yeah, I actually have a couple of tips. If you're listening to this and you feel a little overwhelmed or you're not really sure what to start with, I would suggest starting small. Start with like one or two groups that you think could handle it or would enjoy it and just just try it out. See how it goes and start with books you're familiar with. I mean, take up pick up those Eric Carle books or those Pete the Cat books and just try those first. Read them a few times. See if you can come up with some speech targets for them. And another one, don't run out and just buy all these books. 
<laughs> I'm guilty of that, especially at Black Friday when it's, you know, the buy two, get one free. Cause it's just like, Hey, yeah. I need a third book now. Cause I get a free one. Uh, you can borrow a lot of them from your neighborhood or your school library. Like I, before I recommend a lot of my books, I try to look on Amazon and things just to make sure they're even still in print. Cause I have a handful of books I love that are not in print anymore. Mm -hmm. So I know they'd be hard to find. So I try to just you know, uh, recommend those books that you could still find pretty regularly and you could borrow them from the library. You could find eBooks, you know, there are read alouds online. Just there's so many different ways that you can try it out without needing to just go build up your library. And as much as I love my thousand books, we uh, don't really have the space for bookshelves right now. So they're all <laughs> sitting in a bunch of boxes that I have to, <laughs> I have to dig through. So they're kind of a pain to store if you don't have a lot of space. <laughs> right. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is just have fun with it. I love using books and it, it makes therapy more fun for me as a therapist and for my students while also getting amazing results, because these are evidence-based practices that we're putting into place and common core aligned. And, you know, it just, it ticks all those boxes. And so it just, it's definitely one of those things that I love and I don't think I'll ever get tired of using in therapy. <laughs> 100% I can definitely like see your passion for books and your knowledge about different books and what the research says so this has been awesome Stacy. If people are interested in connecting with you where can they find you? I have an Instagram page that's just it's my name Stacy Ritchie SLP and a Pinterest board mostly just those two <laughs> and teachers pay teachers too right yes and teachers pay teachers that's that's definitely where um I have a lot of really great resources that go along with with books that I love using all the time awesome Stacy, thank you so much this was such a pleasure and I know we'll definitely be in touch in the future I'll have like definitely be coming to you for some book tips literacy tips Sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks again for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, have you joined the SSU crew yet? By joining, you get access to the free goods section on our website, plus podcast updates, special event notifications, and therapy inspiration. You can sign up at bit.ly slash join SSU crew, all lowercase, or just find the link in this episode description. Also, don't forget to take a screenshot of this episode so that you can always refer back to it and share it on social media if you really love the topic. Take care and remember to always fill your speechy side cup first before you can pour into others.